This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and today we're going to be talking about credit scores, credit tips, and some myths and stuff like that. Carl is, I'm not sure what he's doing today, something productive. I've been uh, trying to be- He's flying out. He's flying out? Yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't even know that. Oh, he's flying. He's he's on the plane. Yep. (laughs) He's doing something productive, I'm pretty sure- and we have Amberly Grant. That's the voice that you just heard. Amberly, how's it going today? Excellent. I am doing fantastic and happy to interject anytime here. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, we picked the topic today because you know a lot about like credit scores and you're more into it than I am, I think, with your real estate business and stuff like that. So I thought it'd be a good topic to go over. And I, I'm lightly familiar with some areas. I, I went deep on a deep dive years ago, which we'll get into. I'm not super interested in it, so I don't keep up with it. But before we get into all those details, what's new with you? You have been doing stuff. I saw you a little bit around town some, and then I think I went to your house to drop off something. And anyway, what's new with you? Well, uh, if anyone wants to keep up on our house flipping journey, I guess, uh, we recently planted a plum tree which is really nice in the backyard. And it's supposed to fruit, bear fruit this summer. So like, heck yeah, we already know we see it's growing. Uh, You have to water it every single day, which thankfully it's been raining every day. So water bills like nothing. We also got some raspberries for the backyard. So we really are kind of beefing up our backyard, which has two really cool seating spaces. One is just like drinks and hangout. And then there's like a eight person picnic table with, you know, like a sunshade on top of it. And It's so fun to host people in our backyard. And then our interior of our house, we finally, I mean, what, we're now in June. Maybe this comes out in August. So we'll be like two months done. We are finally done our ceilings. So we had scraped all the popcorn, remutted them, painted, painted, like it looks amazing now and it's done. So it means we can finish painting the bedrooms, which will be really cool. Uh, And we are already onto the kitchen where we are. um, We just finalized our Ikea order for the kitchen cabinets uh, and our countertops. We're going to see if we can maybe, I have a a GC friend who he might be able to get us a better deal than Ikea is offering on quartz countertops. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. And if you're able to share, you don't have to, like what will the kitchen remodel cost? Great question. So we actually literally finalized that today of of what it should be around. So we took a guess. Originally, we were told by good friends who've done IKEA remodels um, that it was going to be around six thousand if we did you know a bunch of drawers in our kitchen. So rule of thumb with any construction project is double it, and that's where we're ending up about. So our actual kitchen, everything is like really well positioned with awesome little drawers. You know, cabinet with drawers, pantry with drawers. So we didn't skimp out. Because we actually have to live there and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And the drawer part costs more than just like a shelf that you put in on, right? So just that configuration for um, lower cabinets in an L, a couple upper cabinets, a huge island, 60, no, 76 by, I don't know what, wide, like 36 wide. Mm-hmm. Um, that alone is going to cost $9,000, Oh, wow. Yeah, just for the cabinets. We also chose nicer fronts than just like the typical cheaper Ikea fronts. And we actually have to go to Ikea this weekend to like finalize our Mm -hmm. what we've chosen to see if like, is it worth the extra money or not? Um, But honestly, at this point in my life, I'm like, okay, $500 extra or $1,000 for a nicer kitchen on a $10,000 remodel is like nothing, like Mm -hmm. pay the money. And then our countertops so far for these granite countertop or no, sorry, quartz that look like marble are going to be 4,500. And I think my friend can probably get me it cheaper. So they're like 1.5 inches in height. 
And the quartz, that's like, it's like what we have upstairs there, right? Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting because that's like a composite man-made material, right? I don't know. Well, I, is it? I don't know. Is I it? Mean, is it? Like, did they grind it up and like reconstitute it? I think it? that's what they do. So know. it's interesting, right? Because they call, it's called what? Quartz. Yes. Quartz is also a stone, right? Like a real, like a uh, geological term, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I assumed it was. It was blocks of actual rock quartz. Okay. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, and the thing is, when you think of marble, it's like a yeah. slab of marble. Correct. But the quartz, it, I haven't done any research, but it's confusing because you're like quartz, that's a stone. And then yeah. you look it up and they're like, it's um, a composite material, but maybe oh. it's like ground up. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's confusing yeah. to me as a, a novice. Uh, I mean, I use kitchens, but I don't design them or know what the counter is made of other yeah. than I was like trying to make sure that I sealed it properly. Right. So it doesn't get stained with like coffee or whatever. Well, that was our number one concern. We eat a ton of curry. So like turmeric is everywhere and curry spice is everywhere. The stains like yeah, crazy. Like, yeah. And it's like, and you don't get it out. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we, I talked to the lady and I was like, Hey, there's, you know, granite. I hear, I hear granite's just kind of like people loved it in the past and you don't need to pay the money for that, but it also stains. And so then quartz is something that's a nice material that doesn't stain. And you could be right. There could be some like fiberboard underneath and they just put like some sort of quartz something on top. Mm-hmm. I had assumed that it was like a slab of quartz. Yeah. But now I'm going to go look it up. And yeah. next time we do a podcast, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I know. Well, and the thing is, we could do a whole show on this apparently. Yeah. And I love it too, because we're not going to do the actual research for the show. So right. it's just us speculating yes. on shit we don't know about. <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty sure it is, it's a solid slab of a thing. Something. But I, in my head, I'm just yeah. like, you know, if you have a granite countertop, like, you know what granite is. And yes. it's a piece and they they cut it. And then they polish it or whatever, and that's granite. Yeah. The quartz, I think, is something different. Right. So it could be real stone. It's yeah. just they they put like gorilla glue on it yeah. to hold it together. It's almost like like you have like real wood, and then you have like the wood composite where it's yeah. like it's like fibers of wood, some pieces of wood, whatever else they found on the factory floor, like a little rat's yeah, tail yeah. is in there somewhere. Yeah. It's like the hot dogs. Yeah. Of, the uh, wood world, I guess. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to look it up and <laughs> right. keep it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. We'll never follow up. It's like the biggest sin of like podcasting. We're like, yeah, we're going to look it up. Yeah. We're not going to link it. Yeah. We'll just Someone can Google it. A lot of people probably already know this. Yeah, just okay. tell us how we're wrong. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get into the credit stuff here. And I want to I want to open off, open up with the biases that we have and me particularly. And I kind of have a bad attitude about, I don't know, banking, large institutions, whatever they are. I'm like, I don't know if I trust them. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I don't have the same goals as they do. And it almost never aligns. So I just, I don't trust, I don't trust very much. So I wrote a statement here. I said, <laughs> I don't trust the credit scoring companies and banks. They aren't there to help you. And it's similar to HR, that's human resources at companies, which they make you think that they're there to help you, right? They're like, oh, we can help you uh, choose this or choose that. And maybe if you have an issue, we can help you resolve it. But the HR is there to protect the company and they're there to you know, make sure that the company doesn't get sued. Mm-hmm. Occasionally they hire and fire people, but generally HR is there. So it's similar to that. Mm-hmm. The credit companies are and the banks are like, oh yeah, we're going to help you out. Or like the bankers at whatever Chase down here, or the local banks, they're not really there to help you. Yeah. And always keep that in the back of your mind and you'll be cynical like me. But <laughs> that is... That's my own bias, and I am aware of it. Right. And it is also laced with a a bad attitude about it, too, which I'm also aware of. And as long as I'm aware, at least I can, like, temper my response somewhat accordingly, in air quotes. Right. You're not, like, ranting about it. And so that's okay. You're allowed to have some ideas about this stuff. Uh, on that note, go check out our episode on Nexus Banking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. So I think it's a necessary evil, right? Yep. It's one of those things where I totally understand where you're coming from. And in life, there are things we can control and things we cannot. I 
did not give consent for three large companies to have all of my data and then leak my data and then give me a $7 check. So I could get really, if we're talking about, you know, Equifax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Equifax. Oh, whoops. One of those things is something we, we you know, we don't have, cons- uh, we didn't consent to and we don't have control over. So what do we have control over? And that's what I like to focus on. So I think less about the banks and more about my position and ability to change where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. I I agree. I I think that too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, funny thing with the Equifax uh, settlement and all that. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I got those emails and I was like, this is the dumbest fucking thing. Like I'm going to submit more information to the company that just fucked up so i'm i like didn't get the seven dollars or whatever i'm just like is this real this is like the best way to scam people is to set up a bunch of fake websites and then send out those emails so i was like i'm not doing this yeah it's only seven dollars well the great thing is is because you didn't do it i got my extra 0.001 cents so (laughs) thanks yeah, so I kept getting it and I'm like, maybe I should do it. And then eventually I was like, this is dumb. I'm out. So yep. quick disclaimer, I think by now you probably already know this is not financial, legal, or any other kind of advice. These are stories. These are just yeah. some things we made up, maybe entertainment, and you should seek professional help. Take that however you think you should. <laughs> All right. So one thing that I did um, to prepare for this is I just Googled how to, how to improve your credit score and NerdWallet ranked number one. You know, this is from my SEO background, search engine optimization. And basically, you know, you can get a bunch of tips out there. This particular one was about how to raise your credit score by 100 points, yes. which sounds aggressive. And... I'm just going to talk about it a little bit. The thing is, there were something like nine tips. Most of them are too basic for a sophisticated audience like yourselves. And they're kind of, they they gave an answer. This gentleman, Rod Griffin, a senior director of the public education and advocacy for Credit Bureau Experian. He says, yes, and I'll paraphrase. He says, if you... Actually, he didn't say this. This is mine. If you have really shitty credit, then yes you can raise your score 100 points. And the thing is, if you have a really low score, you can raise it a lot because you've made some mistakes and you can correct those mistakes. So we're gonna kind of zip through the nine tips here fairly quickly. A couple of them are reasonable. Now, before we get into it, do you know anyone who had a low credit score and like tried to raise it or have you coached or helped anyone do that? Yeah, so my little side hustle of coaching, I definitely have. Okay. Yeah, people with lower, like in the low sixes to get up. And like you said, the better your credit score, the harder it is to, you know, really leap it forward. And when you're saying even, I want to I want to kind of clarify when you're saying, okay, can you change your credit score for 100 points in a short amount of time? Like, what is that, a month? No. Four months, sure. Like, maybe not 100 points, but you need a few months for those changes to go into effect and for those companies to recognize those changes and therefore change your score based on what those changes look like. So when we're saying a low amount of time, it's not like you're buying a house next month and you want to do it. it you probably can't make it a, a meaningful change. Yeah. But you if like you've got six, a year. Yeah, yeah. Six, 12 months, you yep. can make some make, make a dent in it. Yeah. And this is not in the notes, so hopefully you'll know these questions that I'll that I'll ask you. I kind of know, mm-hmm. but uh, what's the like the range of credit scores that are out there? Yeah, gosh, if I remember correctly, so eight forty is top, and then bottom is like four hundred, and it changes with which country you're in. Because I know we've brought in like some other stuff, but in the U.S., and then it scores from essentially like bad, like okay, fair. I think fair is okay good, excellent. And so anything essentially above, I don't know if it's 740 or 760 is excellent. Like it doesn't matter after that point, whether it's 775 or 820, there's very little things that affects at that time. But then anything under 740 is like good, but you're not going to get the best uh, interest rate if that's what you're going for saying a purchase. (laughs) And then below that, then you've got fair and then not good. Most people are around the 700. So there's a very little amount of people who are in excellent and good to fair is where most people kind of that, what's that bell curve Mm -hmm. is. That's 
that's where they stand. Okay. Yep. And I did in some of my research here, I saw that like below 500 is extremely rare. Yeah. Like I think you would have have to have just like the worst things going on. Yeah. And my guess is pretty much below 500 would be, would be reserved for people who don't have credit. Okay. Like, it's not like you wouldn't get a score because to get that low, I just can't imagine. Right. I've never heard of anyone that low. Okay. And do you know, <laughs> do you know why they made it 400 to 840 or whatever? I don't know. Because in Canada, know. it goes up to like a thousand or like 960 or something. Okay. Where does it start? In Canada, it's higher than ours. Okay. 500 maybe. Okay. Yeah. What kind of madness is this? I don't know. We didn't make it. We didn't consent to it. I got, It's just craziness. You could make it, I don't know, one to 10, right? Because it, it doesn't sound like it's very granular anyway. It's yeah. like one to 10 would have worked. Right. It's a little more clear. We could have done like Airbnb scoring where it's like one to five, but if anything under five is just shit. <laughs> so like five or bust. <laughs> Yeah, it just, it doesn't make much sense. They could have done some, I, I'm surprised they didn't do like a logarithmic thing. So it's like right. completely non-intuitive and you're like, I don't even know what this is. Okay. Well, the whole point is, is make it more complicated. So more people have to get involved to help you with it. So the more people make money, right? <laughs> you're right. You're right. This is, yeah. yeah. If, if you want to go cynical here, right? Yeah, we have, we opened with a disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it goes from a very strange score. Mm -hmm. It's like if someone made a joke and they're like, let's do it from 400 to yeah. 840. Okay. Do you know what your credit score is right now? Uh, 780 to 805, depending on which okay. company you're looking at. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think mine's like 800, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Let's move on to some of the tips here. And like I said, some of them are super basic. So I'm going to, I'm just going to mention those and then I'll let you, Amberly, talk about some of the the more helpful ones that people in our audience could actually use. So right. number one, that's too basic that you probably don't need to do is become an authorized user on someone else's account. So that's probably good if you have like a, a child and you want to help them build a credit score. But other than that, if you're an adult and you're in your, you know, over, over 20, you probably don't need to do this unless you have made some mistakes in the past. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next one that's too basic is pay your bills on time. Of course, do that. Yeah. If you notice anything on your credit report that is wrong, dispute it and get it corrected. And I want to add to that one, which is your credits shouldn't be open anyways. Everyone should have their credit from the three companies frozen. So nothing new can go on that without you unfreezing it with a pin and then letting that person have access to it for like two weeks and then shutting it down. So there should be nothing to dispute. Got it. And actually, I don't even think I have that done. So like if you're getting a new credit card, yeah, you need to unlock it. Yes. And then lock it back up. Yeah, I definitely don't have it locked up. I shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> okay. Next, that is too basic. If you have collections, if people are coming after you, go ahead and pay that, you know, deal with it and get it off of your report. And let's talk about that for a second. Some tips and tricks for the collections thing. It might not be your debt. This may be one of those things you dispute. So one thing with collections, if you don't know for certain this was your debt, the first thing you should always do is send back some sort of letter that says, show me proof this is mine. And sometimes they don't get that proof when they've bought your debt, so they can't do it. And therefore, you no longer are owner of that debt. Um, so always be very... Um, careful with answering anything when it comes to credit collections because it can reset that timeline of say like seven years. So you could be at six years and you're like, oh, maybe I'll pay $5 towards this. Well, you just reset that time for it not to drop off your credit score, right? Oh, gotcha. And yeah. you're saying like by making a payment. Correct. Okay. You kind of reset the timeline of, of those people being able to come after you. Okay. And so just being aware and making sure that that debt is yours before ever paying anything off. Okay. Yeah. And I've uh, luckily never had to do anything like this, but I would recommend if you're sending stuff like that, do it with like registered mail, yes. signature required so they can't say, oh, we never got that. Yep. You, They obviously got it. Someone signed for it. You have proof. They know it. The post office knows it. So That's exactly it. Yep. Okay. Another one that is probably not going to be helpful is use a secured credit card, which is essentially it's backed by a cash deposit. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's, I think just a way to build credit if you don't have any and you can't get a credit card otherwise. So 
you deposit the money and you you're spending your own money. So yeah, that, it's essentially this is a really good way for people who come are coming back from like medical bankruptcy or just bankruptcy mm, in general mm-hmm. to get that credit to start building their life back. Sure, this is a fantastic way of doing it. Yeah, cool. All right, let's talk about strategically paying credit cards in a specific order or just knowing about your overall balances and how that can impact your credit score. So let's say like you and I, we have multiple credit cards, maybe hopefully for your business, right? Mm-hmm. Still uh, you still don't. Okay. So I have multiple credit cards, some for my business, some for like some reward airline points and then a personal one. So I have like a few lines of credit and some of them have pretty high limits. Yeah. I usually don't have too much, but let's say I am, you know, renovating a kitchen and I'm buying a ton of stuff and I'm going to be putting, I don't know, like 60% of my overall like credit utilization in there. So how might I approach the like paying it off so that it doesn't hurt my credit score? Let's say I'm going to get a mortgage in the near future. So I don't want to fuck things up. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, if you're going to get a mortgage in the near future, you do not even want to spend the $15,000 that I'll be spending on a kitchen because that is a huge thing that they're looking at. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. So something to think about is when it comes to your credit score, it's affected by a lot of things. And one of those things is credit utilization, meaning how much of an entire bucket of credit available am I using? Am I just using the bottom half of the bucket? Like, you know, that kind of thing. And the the more full, so the most, the, the more credit you use, the lower your credit score becomes. It's not going to drop like 100 points because you maxed out your card one time, right? But the idea is they want you to use 10% or less. So if I had a huge renovation coming up, it may make sense for me just to get a new card so I get the sign-on bonus. So for me, I'm going to have a literally $13,500 bill over like a one-week period. So I'm going to go sign up for a new credit card, which will give me even more of that bucket to fill because I'll have even more credit available to me. Therefore, however much I use of that will be less than what I would normally use if I just use my regular credit card. So that's a nice thing is using a sign-up bonus with a new card, which will give you kind of a bigger overall credit Mm -hmm. amount, right? And so to keep that 10%, one of the things you can do is just pay it down right before your bill, your statement becomes due. So, and then once your statement is due, you can have it just where it's at 10% left. And this is of course, because you probably have your cash on hand. Most of us will not be renovating a kitchen and letting a balance go month by month. So essentially before that actual ticker of like, okay, this is your statement, you pay down to 10, 15%. Again, something to keep in mind, one month where you're doing like 60% of your overall credit utilization isn't going to ding you that much. Five to 10 points here and there, even if you're buying a house at that point, it doesn't matter. Because again, anything over 740 when you're buying a house doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like there's only one thing it affects and that's PMI. Like if you have really high score, your PMI goes less. So I wouldn't make large purchases around my credit utilization, but it's something you can keep in mind. Okay, cool. Does that answer your question? Yes, that makes sense. And I mean, it depends on, you know, how many credit cards you have and uh, like the limits on there. And that brings us to another point here. If you're aiming for that 10% utilization and you know that you are going to be like making some bigger purchases, you can ask to have your credit limit raised. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of companies will just do that on the spot, like on the phone. I haven't done that in a really, like, it's probably been 20 plus years or something like that. But I think they just, if everything checks out, they'll just raise your limit to some other amount that's higher. Yeah, I tried that. When I was younger, I also didn't have a job like I have today and they would not raise my credit limit. Um, okay. No, I wasn't doing it because of a big purchase. I just had heard that, you know, I should have higher credit limit if possible right. so that I can have less on my utilization and they wouldn't give it to me. And so I know that Chase just re- recently sent me a little memo was like, update your income so that we can, you know, recheck your, you know, like what's your available credit and things mm-hmm. like that and kind of update it to your current income. And so I was going to do that. And that's one of the ways that would trigger that, right? Is that you actually have a a meaningful change in income so that they can trust you to have more money. Okay. (laughs) And then there's also different environments. There's 
tightening environments like we're in right now. And then there's like the expansion environment, which was, you know, basically the past 10 years. So like the past 10 years, it was easy to get credit because it was just being given away like candy. Yeah. Yeah. And then now they're like, Ooh, we don't want to give too much because you might default on it because the environment is a little uh, more -hmm. shaky. Okay. And the next one we have on here is about how often you could apply for new accounts and how that might come into play. So yeah. What do you know about that? Should we worry about it much? Okay. I think this is a, so like the whole idea of, is it true or false? This one is a mixed bag. My friends who do credit card churning have incredible credit scores, like 800 plus. And I think ultimately, if you're going to have multiple credits, credit cards, you have to have a good score for people to trust you with the credit. So there is like something though intuitively that most people think the more credit cards I have, the lower my score is going to be. And that's not necessarily the case. And I think it really does come down to the all the other factors that are involved in your credit because some places online say, yes, the more you apply like the more times you apply, yeah, it's a hit to your credit. That's like a one month hit of like five points because you had Mm -hmm. a hard inquiry. But my understanding from everyone I know who has like 25 credit cards, it does not affect their score. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you heard differently? No, that's that's pretty much what I've heard too. And I think, you know, maybe if you did something weird and you applied for whatever, let's say... 30 cards in the span of like a week or so, that would be odd. But the people that are doing churning, they're often spacing it out. You know, there's only so many banks to get credit cards from. So they maybe have to stagger what they're getting from Chase over the course of like two years or something. So they have to wait for a little while. And when you think of it from the bank's perspective, if someone all of a sudden who has like two cards is applying for 30 cards all at once, What's going on in their life that they require right. 30 times, say, $5,000 worth of credit? And so then that's a red flag. And so coming from that perspective, like at the beginning, we said, hey, they're not out for you. They're out for themselves. Coming th- from that perspective, I would also be like, mm, red flag here. This mm-hmm. doesn't seem right. Yeah. I will mention one more tip that Nerd Wallet tells us about, and that's to add to your credit mix. So, for example, when I was first building my credit, I was in college. I got a credit card. I think I got it for a a t-shirt. You know, they were giving out a Cartman t-shirt. South Park just came out. I was really excited about that shirt. And I got the credit card. I didn't have any other credit and no no auto loan, uh, no mortgage, nothing else. It was literally just that. Yep. I had no credit mix. So I don't know what my score was back then, but I assume it was kind of crappy because I didn't have too much going on. So what you can do is get other types of loans and other, I guess, credit history markers or whatever. So so do you have any suggestions on what people can do? Yes. And to your point where yours might've been crappy, it might not have been because you didn't have bad credit that's going to hurt you more than no than less credit because mm-hmm. you still probably had a credit card. I assume you paid on time or at least you paid the minimum so you never right. went behind. Yeah. More than likely your score is probably like in the 740s or or something like that. Um in the 700s is what I would assume. Sure. That's a that's a 100 point, you know, variation <laughs> there but still in the 700s. Cuz I was the same thing, right? I moved to the United States. I got my first Bank of America credit card and still have that one as my oldest line of credit today. And something to do with the credit mix, right? some tips is you never want to take, you never want to pay interest on something you don't need to pay interest on. But if your money can grow somewhere else better, then maybe it makes sense. So the example for me was when I was young, I only had credit card. I had two of them, I think that's it. And I had the opportunity to purchase a vehicle off of my friend's lease. So I had this vehicle for two years. I was able to take over the lease and then buy the vehicle outright. I had the cash to buy the vehicle. So I think at that time it was $13,000 to buy it. So I put a down payment essentially of like six grand. And then I think I borrowed $7,000 at like 4% interest because I didn't, I prefer to keep that money in my bank account. It also offered me this ability to have a credit mix because now I have a car loan on there at a very low interest rate and my money could work for me somewhere else. 
if I and then I just ended up paying it off or had to keep it for one year was part of my terms. And I just paid it all off afterwards. And that was just something I did because I wanted the cash because it was going to tap me out. The low interest rate was low enough. It wasn't like 11 or 12 percent. And then it helped me have that varied. And now something to remember is that when that dropped off one year later, it also lowered my credit score. Because when something drops off, it's like, okay, this is no longer on there. It drops for, you know, maybe a month or two, and then it will come right back up. So it's not a big deal. Do you know how much it drops by? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, not much. Okay. Interesting. That's a great example. I didn't think you'd have one that was good illustration of like opportunity cost too. Yeah. Because it wasn't free, but it was like a good decision. And then you were able to keep some cash around for like an emergency yep. if you needed it or whatever. Yeah. And and I think I paid literally like 120 or maybe less than $200 of interest for the year. So that okay. just really, it really made sense for me. And then great. I have now a closed out car loan that I paid all of it on, right? Mortgage comes next with a lot of people in their life. So then I did a mortgage. Some people have student loans that also shows up in your credit score and is a like a varied right, right. credit piece. Okay. Cool. Well, talking about lowering your credit score, I'm going to try and wedge a, a couple things together here. So we, we're going to play a little game in a minute and you can play along. We're going to ask a question. It'll be true or false, true or false, right? So Amberly will go through those. Before we hit them, I'm going to talk about a foreclosure that I had. So I've told this story a little bit on some other shows. It fits in perfectly here. I'll tell a bit of an abbreviated version, but I purchased a home, my first house in 2005. All my friends were doing it. It seemed like a cool thing to do. You know, like all the all the markets that are really high, it seems like you can't make a mistake. And I'm like, oh, everyone else has been buying houses for a long time. It seems like a great, a great move. And uh, you never know that you're at the top until you fall. So anyway, I envisioned this house to be like a future rental house, right? It was kind of an up and coming area. My parents did that with their first home and it worked out great. You know, they lived there for a few years, upgraded their house, rented it out for years. And then it was a, a great investment, a good cash flow thing. And I was like, I could do that too. Of course, I didn't do any research. I had no, no idea about the like the 1% rule. Is that yeah, what they call it? Right? Yep. Yeah. Some obvious stuff, right? I know it now, but anyway, it was not a good, <laughs> a good purchase. So I lived there for a while, got married, moved out. I rented it out and lost, I don't know, two to $300 per month for a couple of years. And then there were also the normal maintenance costs. So I, I was losing a considerable, a considerable amount of money each month there. So it kind of sucked. Yeah. And I was upside down. So in the glory days, you can get 100% uh, financing, which yeah. I did. So I had two, <laughs> I had two uh, mortgages on it. And I could have done a better job house hacking. This, there's a million things I fucked up on here. So I could have done a better job with the house hacking. I did have a roommate, yeah. but I just, uh, I don't know. I drank the money. I don't know where it went, right? <laughs> so he paid half and then I just didn't pay. I paid like the normal uh, amount in the mortgage. So yeah. fast forward, it's upside down. Yeah. Because it's a rental home, I didn't qualify for any of the sort of bailout money in air quotes or mm -hmm. any of the programs that were available for people that were in the same situation. It was an investment property yeah. and that's, it, they wouldn't work with me. So the mortgage company wouldn't negotiate. Anyway, I let it go into foreclosure. I did a lot of research and this is where it comes into play. Yes, I was trying to find out how much it was gonna impact my credit score, right? Yeah. It was very hard to get any information at all. Yep. I think I read a blog or two that said it could drop, you know, three to 350 points or something like that. Pretty dramatic. And right when we hear the range that we're looking at, like yeah. basically, even Halfway. if you have a, <laughs> yep, it's, it's all the way down. It's about yeah. as low as you can get. So even if I had an 800, it's going to drop down to like 500. Yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, man, that sounds terrible. Eventually it ended up being an exercise of like risk management and what I was able to deal with. So eventually I looked at all the information, talked to a couple people, and everyone said, don't do it. All the information said, this is a bad idea. But I was like, I think it's going to be okay. Even if my credit score drops 300 points, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. 
Uh, the reason why is I wasn't going to buy a house. I wasn't yeah. going to get a loan. I had absolutely zero other debt. So I was like, this seems like a good risk right now. Mm -hmm. So I stopped making payments and I continued to rent it out. I did a six month lease that it worked out perfectly for the, the tenants that moved in and they were going to buy a house. So they like just needed a temporary spot. And I knew that the foreclosure process was going to take six months. Yeah. So it worked out perfectly. They moved out. It got a little weird because you start getting letters yes. about delinquent payments and stuff like that. I checked my credit score afterwards and it was like 720. So it really didn't impact much. Now, the weird thing and one of the reasons that I have the bad attitude is that was over seven years ago. Yeah. Actually, it was like 10 years ago at this point. But when we bought this house, we had the closing date set up and they were like, oh, actually, we can't give you a loan because you have the foreclosure, which I disclosed, right? It's in the yeah. application. So they know. I said, it's this. Obviously, they could see it. Yes. It takes seven years to drop off your credit report. Yeah. The thing is, we were trying to close like six years and 352 days. And they were like, oh, we cannot give you a loan. And I'm like, you know, I could just buy the house. Like, this is yeah. the dumbest rule. Yeah. So in three days, like now I'm worthy to yeah. loan the money yeah. and it, it was just kind of a very good illustration on how silly the the rules are yeah i understand why they are set up the way they are but there's like no discretion built right in. there's no subjectivity there where someone's like yeah. literally it's five days yeah yeah the, nothing i'm not nothing. more credit worthy in five days than i'm not except for the fact that your internal paperwork says at seven years i'm now credit worthy you know right yeah Anyways. so and that's the thing. It was interesting, too, because I had some peers that were in a similar situation, but they also were unable to get advice. So I was literally the only person who did a strategic default or strategic foreclosure. And it was super helpful. I don't know if anyone like went through it. One quick tip, which worked in this situation, so people are often afraid that the mortgage company is going to keep calling you and harass you, yeah. harass your friends and family, whatever, right? Like there's all these stories of that. They, they're they allowed to call one time yeah, and then you can send them a registered piece of mail that says, don't call me anymore. And they can't call you anymore. They tried to call me one other time. And I was like, hey, you know that you guys have a letter that says you can't call me. You signed for it on this date. And they were like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And they, they never called me again. Right. So it was literally uh, the two phone calls. One of them was a violation, yeah. which I think I actually could have pursued Probably. them, but it was a waste of time. I didn't need to do that. And that was it. And then, you know, I was able to pro profit the money in air quotes. I was able to get the money for the rent over the six months. And then the only other thing to consider is when you go through a foreclosure and it's, you know, sold and the mortgage company essentially forgives the loan, mm -hmm. you have to pay taxes on that amount. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you have to pay taxes on it. But because I did rent out the place at the same time, which sounds sleazy, but that is exactly what a business would do, right? Yeah. And they, it's an exchange. They got a place to live. You got money. Yeah. It is it is what it is. Yeah. It's how a business runs. And I was treating it like a business. Yeah. So. You know, you wouldn't just like let it sit in disrepair. Like they kept the house up too. Anyway, yeah. so I had to pay taxes on it, which was a great trade. So I had like a $150,000 mortgage and I had to pay like whatever, 18,000 bucks in taxes or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good story. What I really appreciated about that is most people won't talk about those types of quote unquote failures in life. Um, they keep them to themselves and you don't hear about it until like someone's had a, a little bit too much wine and you're like getting into things, right? So I appreciate you being so <laughs> forthcoming with that. And like you said, you didn't, you couldn't find information because everything's speculation. Like a lot of people don't, don't talk about these experiences. So when you were saying, hey, my credit score went from 800 to 720, like you're still in the good category. Like literally yeah. that's good credit. Right. You could get a car, you could still get a house. You just won't get the best interest rate. Right. But like you said, if all, if you had a, a functioning car, you're not buying a house, we really don't have, and you can pay your bills because you had no other debt. So it's not like you were living above your means in other places. 
you don't really need access to that ability to get credit. So who cares for a bit? Exactly. Yeah. And one other key thing in the risk management area, the house was in the foreclosure was just in my name. Yeah. So we actually, Elizabeth bought a house Mm -hmm. that, you know, it was in her name because her credit was clean. So I knew that like we, if we needed to buy a house, which we weren't expecting to, but we bought one just uh, like three years later, Mm -hmm. it, it was fine. So I just needed to wait the seven years and then good to go. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, I, I didn't envision. I mean, I wasn't getting, uh, I wasn't borrowing money or getting a, a loan anywhere else at any time. So, okay. And one thing I want to point out is that there's two things that you said there that are really important. And one is that in foreclosure and in bankruptcy, the second that you decide that you are going into bankruptcy or foreclosure, that limbo is over and they cannot contact you. So it's the same thing with bankruptcy. Mm. The second you like declare it and you're starting to work with the agency to mitigate that, right. they are not allowed to contact you anymore. The your, like, your creditors, they can only talk with your advisor, whoever it is that's helping you through that process. So it's really important for people to know that if you're in that limbo and you don't know what to do and you're leaning towards one, that might give you a bit of mental reprieve because okay. you've you no longer have to hear from them. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm just thinking of, I know you're an office fan too. (laughs) I'm just thinking of Michael declaring bankruptcy, which a handful of people get. I know not everyone watched the office, but all right, cool. You ready to play this game? I'm ready. All right. I'm going to let you just kind of rock and roll. Hey guys, we're going to pause after I say each one of these and you get to decide your own true or false. Right. And we'll pause for maybe like Three seconds. Not too long. No, no. Not too long. Yeah, like we'll keep you engaged. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. When buying a house, you cannot shop around for loans because each time you shop, you will get hit negatively on your credit score. Myth. Oh, wait. False. <laughs> uh, so the cool thing, I wanted to tie this into that foreclosure conversation. The cool thing is that when you are going to buy a house and, and the thing for these list, like you, you guys listening, you may be a first time home buyer. And a lot of people don't know this. The second that you do that first hard inquiry with some lending company, whoever it is, you have 45 days to get as many hard inquiries on your uh, credit report for them to give you a loan and, and kind of you know, give you a proper uh, loan quote and it will not affect your score. There, It's one hit for 45 days. You go 46 days, that's another hit. So it's really important for you to know that because a lot of people get really nervous about getting multiple loan officers involved. Do it. Get, get your money, cheapest yeah. money out there. Cool. All right. Yep. You can't improve your credit score if you have bad credit. False. We talked about this at the very beginning. You can improve your credit score. And the lower your credit score, the e- like the quicker and simpler it is to improve your score. And then again, remember, guys, yeah, cool. The limit actually is 850. Being an 850 doesn't make you even better or cooler than someone at 800. Like, Maybe cooler. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> I'm going to wear that like as a badge someday, right? <laughs> Hit 850, bitches. That would, um, that would actually be a decent shirt at like FinCon or something where it's like... Yeah. Your credits or like 800 plus or something like that. Yeah. Should I do that for FinTalks weekend? You have like your name tag and then your credit <laughs> score below it. It's like a some kind of weird dating thing. Too, yeah. I was right? going to say, yeah. yeah. Let's do some date. All right. What's, what's your phi number? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anywho. But yeah, essentially, yeah, we know that. Carrying. So Doug, tell us true or false here. Carrying a balance on your credit card will improve your credit score. I, I used to think that because yeah. I'm like, oh, those guys, they, they want you to, you know, pay them interest. Right. But I don't think it's true anymore. False. Yep. Not true. So I actually, I put a big question out to my Instagram friends and followers and said, hey, guys, what did you think you knew about credit cards that was true? And it turns out it was not. And this was the number one thing that came up was that a lot of people thought that if they carried a balance that their credit score improved. And intuitively, you think that like that makes sense, like you said. But that is not the case. Carrying a balance makes you more risky because you're gonna, you can't satisfy your debts. Okay. Should you close old credit cards to improve your credit score? Doug? Hmm. 
you know, part of me, I'm thinking of like the credit card churning and just like having a bunch of cards and like, oh, is that, is that risky? I'm going to say, I'm going to say that closing the old cards will impact your score. Yes. It'll drop, it'll drop your score. Yeah, it'll drop your score. Correct. Okay. And so there's two things to this. There is old cards and closing cards in general. Closing cards in general may drop your score by a little bit. So yeah, it will drop your score by a little bit of money, money, gosh, points, a little bit of points, but it might not be significant for a long period of time, except for if you close your oldest credit out. So I have that Bank of America card from 2007 when I moved to the United States. So that's what, like 10, that's 16 years old now. My next oldest line of credit is from 2013, meaning all of a sudden I went from having credit for 16 years to having credit for whatever it was, 12 years or 10 years. And that's significantly different to people who are going to give me money because mm-hmm. I, instead of having all that time, now I'm like, oh, I'm a newer credit holder. Mm-hmm. So closing out your oldest credit, like lines of credit is actually a really bad idea. Because it can significantly mm-hmm. change your credit score. So how do you keep those open? You know, you just leave them blank. That's fine. Like, you know, just don't put money on them. Except for sometimes, you know, in credit tightening t- environments, like right now, some banks are closing down cards that haven't been used for a while. So it's nice to have some sort of reoccurring payment like your Netflix or, mm-hmm. I don't know, Hulu subscription that you have every month just on there so that it's being utilized and they know that you care. One of the points earlier about shopping for mortgages and having the, you know, the 45 days, that's, that's smart. They know people are going to shop for a mortgage. They want to get the best deal, right? Yeah. They give you 45 days. That seems sufficient. Cool. That's smart. This one seems stupid to me, right? (laughs) So obviously they can keep my foreclosure on for seven years, a very specific amount of time. I'm pretty sure it's the history is there anyway. They yes. see that it happened yeah. and then it dropped off in seven years. So tell me why the fuck does it matter if you close it? Obviously they know it was there and right. like, it, it's a very simple one, right? Correct. Like so you can this literally is a very dumb rule. I agree. Yeah. It's not, and it's not available credit. So that means you don't need it. Right. So closing is a great idea because you're like, you're like, oh, I don't need this much credit available to me because I'm a responsible human. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you apply, I mean, again, some of this stuff doesn't make sense. The rules are there to protect the, you know, the company and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, let's say I want to move to all cash Mm -hmm. and I close my cards and all of a sudden my score drops, but I literally can, I am not even capable of getting in as much trouble, right? Because like if I had whatever, $80,000 of like credit limit, I could- I could spend a lot, have a huge debt, never pay. Like, yeah. but if I'm just spending cash, obviously, right? And I close all the anyway. Yeah, so it's dumb rule. Dumb rule, and and something <laughs> too for strategically, if you've got old cards that you do want to cancel, you just don't cancel them all at once. Like you have to spread them out because then that compounding, right? Is it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. Dave Ramsey's onto something. Just joking. What do we have next? Churning, so the act of getting credit cards and, you know, getting the points and just getting them over and over and over again would lower your score to a level that negatively impacts it. Is this true or is this false? Mm-hmm. So this one's false, you know, I, we alluded to it before and I actually interviewed our friends, Lauren and Steven. Actually, I talked to Steven in this case and I think they... They made uh, like 20K over the course of like 18 months or two and a half years, something like that, with something like 40 some odd credit cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have great credit. Yeah. So it's just, it's a little tough to manage the all the plastic coming your way. Yeah. But it's just, you know, if you have a system, you could do it. So I'll, I'll put a link so people could check out the interview with Steven. Have you gotten into churning much? Or? Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound fun to me. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. It's one or two here or there, but I I don't get cards very often. No. I'm going to do it for the Ikea purchase. I have to like downgrade because it's so much, I don't know. You know, 
I have so much I manage. I manage like literally five properties now, like however many tenants that is. I don't even know. It's like Multiple 12 humans. tenants. Yeah. yeah. And then I've got a child, a husband, renovations of my house. Like I don't have time for this shit. I would love to like fly first class for free, but I'm cool with economy and I can find the cheapest ticket on yeah. Skyscanner, Google Flights. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. We'll keep moving on. What's okay. next? Okay. 0% credit cards are free interest for one whole year. Is this myth or true or false? I think that is free interest for a year. Zero. I, I think so. I think that's a real, I feel like I've gotten those in the past or some kind of deal, but yeah. as, uh, what, what's the deal? This is a straddling. This is like a true and false. Okay. It's only 0% if you satisfy the terms of the credit card, which most people who need to move from car- credit card to credit card or 0% forget to satisfy those terms, right? Uh, so yes, it is free unless you miss one payment, unless you don't pay the entire balance off in that one year period on that date. And some people don't realize it's like, okay, is it next month that I'm supposed to pay the whole thing off or this month? And then you have all that interest for the entire year applied retroactively for that year uh, on that pay- on that last like that last month that you forgot or the one time you forget to pay it or it's like a couple days late. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And I have done like back in the day in the, in the time frame when I was uh, getting into real estate investing and failing hard. Yeah. um, Yeah. I would like transfer balances to other cards for whatever the six months and then like pay it off. It was weird because I always actually kind of like your car loan that you talked about, like I always had the cash to pay for it, but I would always like roll some over, pay a little interest here and there, probably thinking that it was helping my credit score. Probably. So stupid. Yeah. Okay. I have one I'm going to make up in my head right now because I forgot. This is something I learned from calling my bank. If you miss a payment on your credit card, they report it to the credit bureau right away. True or false? Mm. I think that one is false. Bam, bam. Yeah, you are correct. It is false. They spend like 15 days before they actually start to consider sending it over there. So I forgot to pay my credit card twice in my life. It has not shown up on my credit score um, or like on the little block. All my boxes are green. There's right. no like red or yellow ones for anyone who's ever pulled your credit score. It's like yeah. other things in, like boxes by month. And I called the lady panicking because, you know, I'm this 25 year old, very responsible gal. And she was like, you're fine. Like we don't report it for like five or 10 or 15 days. Yeah. So you've got a leeway. And then you could, did you get your, uh, the late fee waived? Yes, I did yeah. because I have great credit, you know, like yeah. great. We've been working together for a while. Us, right. Me and Bank of America. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it, that's another one. I mean, I have forgotten here and there. Um, I think I have like auto pay set up for almost everything now, yeah. but like occasionally in the past, I, I think I, I turned it off to make sure I just like looked and make, to make sure there weren't any weird charges on there. Yeah. Of course, you know, then you forget to pay and it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather pay the shitty charges that I for, like that shouldn't <laughs> be there and then like go find them later, you know? Right. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have like a little more recourse because like if you made a, or if someone like got into your account or your card was stolen, then you, you have recourse to do something. Yeah. But when you forget, yes. then it's your fault exactly. and you have like an anxiety attack trying to deal with it. So. Correct. Yep. All right. Cool. I think we covered about everything on here and uh, I appreciate anyone that made it this far. I should have <laughs> apologized in, in advance for, uh, I mean, I said I was going to have a bad attitude, but I didn't apologize. I apologize <laughs> and I appreciate your uh, your patience out there and hopefully it wasn't just me complaining the whole time. But um, I think, I mean, the thing is, there's a lot of other podcasts out there. Yeah. Obviously, there's a ton, ton of podcasts and, you know, they're, they're by the book, you know? Right. And they're like, do this and do that. Jump through the fucking hoops. Yeah. And they have credit card companies to advertise or they're working like they're being paid by the companies that I'm complaining at. Yeah. But we don't we don't take money from anyone. <laughs> so. On that note, please contribute to our coffee. What what yeah, is buy that? me a coffee. Buy me a coffee. So yeah. side note on that. Yeah. So buy me a coffee. You can check it out. You get extra content over there. Carl and I are writing a book and we're actually publishing like some some vlog footage where we talk about what we're working on. The people on buy me a coffee get it like a week or two early. 
The thing is though, apparently asking for support really bothers some people to the point where they leave reviews. So like we have an alarming percent, high percentage of reviews that say these guys ask for donations, which kind of blows my mind because um, it's easier just to not do anything and be like, well, at least they're not putting ads on there. Yeah. We try to have fun with it usually. Yeah. But, and we, we actually have a handful of people donating, but people are like, I can't believe they're asking for donations. Meanwhile, there's other shows making like, they make a lot of money, guys. Like tens of thousands of dollars per month. Per month, yeah. With the ads from the credit card companies. No, I, guys and gals out there that have shows, that is totally cool. I don't, I don't judge you, but we're trying not to do that. So anyway. Yeah. The donations rub some people really the wrong way. Right. Um, so if you if you like the show, uh, try to counteract those reviews because yeah. people look at them and we literally, we only ask for donations, maybe like 20% of the shows. Right. It's very rare because we, we forget. Yes, correct. And that's like a perfect segue. Come on. Like, I think I should get some kudos points for like, yeah, yeah. bam, bam, bam. Yeah. And well, and here's the thing. I think it's great that no matter, people can make money any way they want to, right? There's... Good, bad, and I wouldn't say consider either of these good or bad ways. Good way, good bads, good ways, bad ways of making money. Throwing in twenty bucks a month to your favorite podcasters that you clearly care enough about to write reviews about <laughs> online is a great thing to do. <laughs> yeah. When I did back in the day, like uh, some beer brewing podcast, like I donated, I think it was like five or ten bucks. Yeah. For like years right for years and the funny thing they had ads also mm-hmm. but it was like you know it was before all this money was in podcasting yeah and anyway yeah so if you support us that's great if you don't want to you still get the content yeah uh, and maybe just like ne- leave a nice <laughs> review so that other people can find the podcast and can support yeah mm-hmm. the, yeah we could go on and on about it but monetization is a little tough and yeah you know if you're a creator like there's, there's not that many of us. So it's like, we have internal struggles. We try to do a good job. We're not trying to piss people off. And, and just from my perspective before we end here <laughs> is like, I always have such a struggle. We know this. Amberly's <laughs> been struggling with something for literally one year of monetizing. And it's like, there's such an internal struggle about this of like, I don't want to monetize my, like my friends or listeners who like in my mind are our friends. And it like there's so much that goes into making the decision to monetize and it's probably always so much longer like you've taken so much more time and thought than anyone really should and so i think it's great that you guys are just asking for a little coffee thanks yeah yeah and you know what we did with the money we bought a bunch of t-shirts and then we just gave them away well yeah exactly. right i own so- one of those t-shirts and i wear them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's what we're doing with the money we're yeah. not like uh going on vacations or whatever yeah so all right cool Thanks for Please indulging do. us. Thanks, Amberly. Um, we'll put links. People could find you in, in a lot of places. So, of Instagram, some other thing, a website. Yeah. We'll put a link. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, Tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five. And uh, actually, we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two. Make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.
All right, Doug, do you like sushi? I do, yeah. Ooh. So we used to live in Vancouver. And of course, in Vancouver, we're by the ocean and uh, there's a ton of Asian influence in the city. So sushi is everywhere. We found the most amazing sushi shop. shop. Wow. Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) And it was like affordable. A local guy owned it. It was incredible. And since moving to Longmont, I have not had sushi. And I don't quite trust the fronts (laughs) of the sushi places I've seen here in Longmont. So I'd love a good suggestion. But... Do you know about the $5 sushi deal? No. Okay. So I don't care if people judge me for this. This is basically the best thing in the world. And Vivi, who's been on Mile High Fi, she used to get it with me when we lived here before we moved to Vancouver, you know, in Denver. And now we've restarted the tradition every Wednesday or like every other Wednesday. My partner and I go to Sprouts and you can get sushi there for $5. Okay. Like those little rolls yeah, that yeah. are normally like 10 or 12. Okay. There's only like two good kinds because everything else is fried and stuff, which yeah. he enjoys, but I don't personally. So you can get like a spicy tuna or salmon for five bucks. And I can just eat one of those. And it's pretty much an entire dinner for me. And like, okay. I don't know, good enough for me. I may have to check it out. No, I didn't know about that. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is... Like, I didn't eat sushi until I was like maybe in college or something, or yeah, r- yeah. roughly that. So, and also, I mean, we didn't get like fresh f- fish as often. Like, things are different yes. now, or even like 20 years ago when I was in college. Agreed. But we would go to a place in Atlanta. There were a few locations called Roussans. Okay. And they had, it was fine. It was fine. But they also had like a buffet. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, sounds sketch, but there was enough turnover. Yeah. We tell ourselves there was enough turnover that it was like pretty fresh. They were like making yeah. like sushi constantly. Yeah. And it, it was pretty popular. So I think it, it actually was decent. The thing every, every like restauranteur or sushi enthusiast says is like, oh yeah, they fly it in daily from wherever. And it's like- Lies. Yeah, I'm like, we're still in the middle of the country, right? We yeah. sacrifice some stuff right. because we have the mountains right here. Yes. We're not by the ocean. So I know maybe they do fly it in and I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Right. I haven't had sushi at a restaurant since I moved to Longmont either. Occasionally we will, similar to what you said, I will, I'll get it at the grocery store. Yes. Which, um, I mean, it's frozen and then they thaw it and then it's, you know, it's not great, but it's fine. Right. Well, my impression, and I could be wrong, I think almost all fish is flash frozen. So the second they get it on the boat, they stick it into like a big freezer and then, then you like have fresh fish Right. Afterwards. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And have, have you made sushi before at home? I have one time. Yeah. Okay. And I used to do it a lot more often. Yeah. And yeah, like once kind of you get the hang of it, it's yeah. like pretty easy. And I was doing, oh shit, I forgot about this. I was doing kind of like poke boat bowl style yes. stuff. Yeah, it was, it's great because there's a lot of other stuff that you could put in there and I was getting like the flash frozen stuff. Occasionally I would like sear the outside just to be sure Mm -hmm. and then like, you know, cut it up and it's still raw in the middle, but the idea is you're like killing everything on the outside. Any bacteria that's kind of hanging out there. Yeah. You know, the whole thing with the sprout sushi and I think one of the reasons people look their, like turn Turn their nose up or whatever down up at it is there's a... I feel like a misconception that you're going to get sick from it. And I will say out of like the 10 times I had it in my life, probably I've never once gotten sick, but I have gotten sick from other foods. Right. (laughs) And so I don't know. I'm, I'm down with this sushi from sprouts. Yeah. I think it's probably fine. And I mean, they also have, I know the enthusiasts out there are like, Oh, you guys are, (laughs) but at, uh, I've gotten it at, like Sam's oh. where it's usually there, there is some stuff where it's like raw fish, yeah. but a lot of times it's like imitation crab meat yeah. or it's like steamed shrimp or like fried shrimp. Right. And it's just, you know, it's a, just a cooked prepared product. Right. Yeah. 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 That said, like you, you have been to really good sushi places like you yeah. opened up with. And one place um, that I told Carl 
and Mindy to go to when they were on the big island is a place called Depokey Shack. And it's in a parking lot of a hotel and it's like right off the beach and it looks like nothing. Yeah. But it's a really awesome place. A lot of places in Hawaii are just like chill and like you could probably get good poke. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. Right. Someone can correct me. But anyway, if you're ever on the big island, check it out. It's really good. It's right off the main strip in Kona right there. I mean, it's like a mile down, but right. really good. Yep. Really good. I like to save things in my Google Maps. So like yeah, after this, too. when I re-listen to it, I'm going to be like, <laughs> okay, go star this for Hawaii in my Google Maps. Because like anytime I rock up to a city, you know, you use your little blue dot to, to go yep. around it. And so then I can be like, oh man. There's something there. Yeah, there's like a little a little pin right there. Let's go check that out. Yep. And yeah. I, I save I save those like uh f- for when I am there in the future or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, we we yep. went there. I, I remember that. So. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You can kind of like revisit your trip and the sushi that you had. Yeah. All right. I'll check out Sprouts. It's on the other side of town, but I'll make a special trip. What day? It's Wednesdays? Like seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much. I heard this place, uh, Sumo or whatever, right over here is yeah. supposed to be pretty good. Okay. But we still run into the issue of like, we're in the middle of the country. Yeah. <laughs> there's no ocean close by. No. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 